How's it going, everybody? It's your host, Bradley Geyser. Before the show, I just wanted to give a heads up that you'll notice in this episode there's some audio issues. I am new to this, so I'm trying to figure out the technological aspects of it, and the Skype call recorder decided, hey, every minute or so, let's just drop like a second, a half second of audio and see who notices and well i noticed so you'll notice there's something off with the audio in this episode it's still a great interview with damien barling i tried to edit around it as much as i could but it was impossible to actually do that 100 percent successfully so i hope that you'll understand that in this interview and still enjoy it we talk a lot of about a lot of great things and just a side note aside from all this because i remembered i forgot to say it in the episode I would really appreciate it if you would start rating and reviewing this on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, because it really helps us out. It helps give us exposure, all that. And you know, listen to this voice, and you can't see my face, but you might have seen it. This needs to get out there. So if you could do that, that would be amazing, and I will love you forever. Anyways, despite the technical difficulties, I hope you enjoy the show. And I will talk to you later. Thank you. Welcome to the Sapdown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Bradley Geyser. And today we are joined by a very special guest, host of The Podcast with Damien Barling. Mr. Damien Barling, how's it going, Damien? feel like you should be like the host on npr or something that was very I'm that was very that. straightforward and very well hello and thank you for joining fine arts theater with bradley it's because i'm not creative i'm not comfortable enough to get creative there by like the fifth episode off some obnoxious thing i can do at the beginning but right now i'm just talking but it's kind of what makes you you it's like yeah that's that's this is what we would expect from bradley <laughs> this is perfect this is the it's the perfect Bradley tone. I like. I, know, I was trying. I was going back editing last week, and I was like, "Wow, I really don't waste any time." I. <laughs> That's all right. People don't like having their time wasted. Yeah, I still talked for an hour and fifteen minutes, so I don't know if we wasted time or not. But I like to allocate my wasted time. You know. There you go. Yeah, you're. Re- I wouldn't say you're new to the podcast game, but your specific podcast. You're relatively new to it. How's that going? Yeah, it's different. Uh, it's definitely different. Um, you know, I'm doing a radio show with commercial breaks and, um, you know, specific, you know, audience turnover and different things like that. So there was, there's definitely a learning curve, uh, you know, even 20 some odd episodes in, I think I'm still learning some different things and pacing is different. Flow is different. Uh, the way you lay out the show is a lot different as compared to, you know, regular radio, terrestrial radio. So, it's definitely different, man. It's it's. I, I thought it would be a seamless transition from the radio to a podcast, but it's 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 very very different. And you do five days a week, which is insane to me. I did one last week, and I'm still recovering. Yeah, it's it's more. I want to stay sharp and stay busy. Like it's easy to you know take the week of the Major League Baseball All Star Game off, or even more specifically, it's easy to take this week off. Like there's there's just at least last week you had. You know, still some spillover from NBA free agency. You had, you know, 
little home run nuggets or you can dive in and talk about it for a little bit. But now that the game's back going again, you're just kind of waiting for the season to come to an end. So there's not really a lot going on this week. There's probably not going to be a lot going on next week. And we'll get closer and closer to NFL training camp. But for me, it was just important to stay sharp, stay busy, and stay on top of everything that was going on. Yeah, what I appreciate about your podcast is you're you're from Sacramento, but you're you're doing national stories. It's your podcast would if someone's listening in Florida with no connection to Sacramento, I feel like they'll have to be a Kings fan or a Sacramento native to appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that was always my vision. It's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, Kings fans are really passionate, and sometimes that's what they want to hear. But my feeling was always, when I pitched the show to the radio station, was you already you have enough Kings talk here. Give us a chance to do something different. Give us a chance to bring kind of a local perspective on national stories. And that, I mean, I, you know, obviously with the podcast, nothing has changed. Um, you know, if you want 24-7 Kings talk, there are certainly podcasts for that. But uh, I, I just felt like why not have a, a local, you know, a local take on on the stories that everyone else or every you know everyone associated with are talking about. And you're not a podcast; you are the podcast. Yes, very creative on my part. Um, <laughs> I figured I, I I can't get sued over this name, so I just did the podcast and threw my name on it, and I uh, had a little fun with it that way. And there is not another podcast with that name because that's amazing. If podcasting oh there's there's definitely shows called the podcast it's just (laughs) you attach you know you attach your name to it um and it's it's just as simple as that because you can't think that has your you know your name in it so there's probably the podcast with timmy joseph somewhere and (laughs) uh, i've always enjoyed timmy joseph's show Yes, yeah, this Timmy's. I think he's good friends with Matt George. It's, oh yeah, so, so Timmy Joseph sounds like he was Matt George's like best friend growing up in elementary school. Yeah, all those all those people with a uh, first name and a last name. That, yeah, two first names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Whatever. Dang, I'm saying dangerous, there. dangerous people. Those, so those I wonder with that dangerous. strategy, like if I rebranded the Sackdown Royalty Show, if I did like WTF Mark Marin with Bradley Geyser, if I could get sued that way. <laughs> you very well that's that's a, it's a bold strategy it's it's certainly a bold strategy i've seen it on itunes where someone will try to piggyback off of someone like they'll try to be the beatles but slightly a slightly different spelling maybe spelled like oh, the actual sure. beatles or yeah. they'll or they'll name their song like old town road because there's a popular song called old town road right now so they'll try to yeah get those fake listeners cheap heat as they say in wrestling that's that's cheap heat all right well we have to talk about the exciting news from your family right now I and mean, king's fans know carol lawson from her tv work years ago um if they have league pass they know her from the wizards broadcast the last year or two years how long was she doing that? uh she did the wizards for two seasons yeah she's uh, an assistant coach for brad stevens in the boston celtics just finished her her stint in summer league and uh, it'll be the first time, you know, since I've known her, and gosh, 14 years, almost 15 years that she's had one job. So it's 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 pretty exciting for her, and I think she's going to be amazing at it. And I said the day, you know, the day that it was uh, made public that she's she's going to be coaching the NBA. Like I I know her, I know her personality, I know what she knows about basketball, I know how driven she is, and. I can. I don't know if she's going to be the first, but I know she's going to be a head coach in the NBA. Yeah, she's done it all. Um, as far as qualifications go, I don't know if you can have much better resume than she has. 
No, I mean, she's, you know, she was in the WNBA for, for 12 years. She was a champion there, an all-star there. She was an Olympic uh, gold medalist. Uh, she coaches three-on-three uh, three now for USA Basketball. She has a, you know, Brad was, was really uh, great about her, allowing her to continue her work with USA Basketball. And there's a good chance that when three-on-three three hits the Olympics next year, she may very well be the head coach for the first Olympic team. So, uh, she has an opportunity to get a gold medalist, uh, to be a gold medalist as a as a coach and a player. You know, we'll see how that plays out uh, in the coming coming weeks, coming months. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really exciting for her. I couldn't I couldn't possibly be more proud of her. So how's that three on three basketball work in the Olympics? I've been I've I dabble in the big three. I wouldn't say I'm a fan. I I'll throw it on in the background and whatever. But that's my first exposure. Big time three on three basketball. Is it a three similar concept? I imagine they don't have the four point shot. But as far as just half court setup, all that. Yeah, it's a half court setup. Uh, you know, obviously it's not as gimmicky as what what uh, Ice Cube and those guys are doing, which is done for entertainment. So like like that's fun. That that wasn't meant to be a knock, but it is it is different. Um, and what's interesting about that is there's no sideline activity. So Kara has to coach from this, like she coaches before, Biggie coaches at halftime, and then she has to sit in the stands. So it's like uh, tennis almost. There's really, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's actually exactly what it's like. There's no coaching uh, during during that point. Um, but it's it's been interesting to watch, you know, because she's been with USA Basketball since it started and she leads the the U18 team and um, yeah it's it's different it's it's definitely different it's going to be interesting to watch this year or uh, next year in the Olympics and where are they pulling their talent from the they'll come from the WNBA uh, just like it'll be a pool the pool will now consist of uh, you know the, the the traditional five on five national team and then they'll be members allocated to the three on three team okay so we are sending I- I assume it's the same for the men, but I I don't know that process is. I always thought it's funny. I've heard I've heard rumblings every time, and it's funny because we don't win every time. But people act like American team is always too good. It's like every every country has what they're good at, and we've proven to be fault uh, flawed teams in the past. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm I'm cur- I was curious about that with the, if we were sending NBA players, if it would be college guys or NBA. Well, it's going to be or, tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough because a lot of these guys, you know, the the 2008 team is always the team that I think can closest, you know, they, they, they tried to call the 96 team Dream Team 2 and you tried to keep the Dream Team going for a while. But really, there's there's one Dream Team and that was in 1992. The closest that we've had to a second one, I think, was the team in 2008 and they made a you know, that was kind of USA basketball had hit its lowest point and it was, okay, let's bring in the big guns here. Let's get LeBron, Kobe. They're all committed to it. Coach K is committed to it. And, you know, those guys have stayed committed to USA basketball. And I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, the respect that they have for Coach K. You know, LeBron's going to be 36, 37 years old. And, you you know, Carmelo's not going to be on the team. You know, all of those guys from 2008, essentially, are going to be gone. Kobe retired. Dwayne Wade is retired. So it's going to be harder to get guys to, you know, commit to USA basketball basketball for um, a, a long stretch. And I think it's going to be even harder because I don't know how guys are going to, you know, because three-on-three three is new. I don't know if they're going to look at it as, like, the three-on-three three, demotion from the five-on-five, five, where I think it should more be looked at as, like, we have to have 
us and we have to have a stud here on the three on three team you know to help make sure that that's not like a weak point like I, I don't think usa basketball wants to go out there and grab a gold medal in the five on five but stink it away in the three on three like usa basketball wants to dominate and they want to win both categories so it's gonna be, yeah i'm i'm it's it's gonna be interesting how receptive uh, athletes are to that particularly you know because it is so new it's going to be you know you're going to have the opportunity next year to be on the very first three on three team and i'm going to beat this drum that they need carmelo anthony olympic carmelo anthony has never been oh. nba carmelo anthony olympic, olympic carmelo Car- anthony yeah. is what carmelo anthony fans have always wished nba yeah. carmelo anthony was and i know i'm on an island here man but i just i don't understand why that dude isn't in the league like maybe you know i i heard what chauncey billups said the other day and I take what Chauncey Billups says, you know, for nothing. But I, there's probably something to it that Carmelo didn't want to give up, you know, the way that he played, uh, that scoring a lot was important to him. But I just it, – it, it's crazy to me that he's he's just not in the league. Like, he just didn't get a chance to play last year. Like, I, I find that absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I'm not going to say I watched uh, every Thunder game with him, but, yeah, I just – I got the feeling that he could still be – a good NBA player, but yeah. if he would accept it, it was almost the Allen Iverson thing where he just kind of burned out. He might have been able to have a longer career if he would have accepted a smaller role. But he didn't want to. And he, in some ways, I respect that, but in other yeah. ways, you got to be realistic. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. As someone who watched probably way too many uh, Oklahoma City games that year, he just wasn't a good fit. And I don't know if it was him with Russ. I don't know if he was taking shots away from Paul George, where Paul George should have had him. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but I knew that he he just didn't work there. I actually thought he was going to work in Houston, uh, because my feeling has always been if you pair Carmelo with Chris Paul, you're going to be fine. And I think the way that 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 Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni and all those guys, I think the way that they did Carmelo is just absolutely weak. I mean, to, to wave him, not even wave him, to just kind of send him home 10 games into the season and to blame him for your problems that weren't corrected for at least another 20, 30 some odd games. I just thought I thought that was weak. Yeah. And they, they had it. Carmelo being there wasn't the only quote unquote adversity from that first no. couple months of the season. It did not even close. It's one of those things that bugs me. I don't know what the fix is for when a guy is capable of playing. Some guys just aren't good enough. Other guys, it seems like they're just unable to trade them, so they're forced to sit on the bench. Yeah. Um, you even saw that with Luol Deng with the Lakers, who mm-hmm. obviously isn't the Luol Deng of past, but he played one game the year before. I think he yeah. was actually a rotation guy in Minnesota this last year. I'm not positive, but... And we saw it with J.R. Smith. You know, J.R. Smith was just waived, finally, you know, a couple of hours ago by by Cleveland but we saw the same thing with him he was he was just kind of sent home they couldn't trade him so they didn't do anything with him yeah I don't, and I, do you have you ever thought of a fix for that like maybe if a guy doesn't play for 10 games he has the option to terminate his deal or I don't know yeah I that's tough man I I you know I don't know how you get out of that like we've we've had this discussion many many times on the radio about how is that different than the rest epidemic <laughs> that angers so many older sportscasters like all oh, these athletes shouldn't be allowed to rest damn it little timmy up in you know section 300 he bought a ticket to see this guy play and he's not even going to play and it's like okay well what about jr smith <laughs> like you don't think anybody bought a ticket to see jr smith he just can't go play yeah he's getting paid 
you're just not letting him play. The same with Carmelo Anthony. Like you just sent him home. Like you didn't. Like what would stop Carmelo from just showing up to practice? Like how can you keep someone from going to work? You know what <laughs> I mean? Like you're paying the person to work, but you won't actually let them work. I think that's something the NBA has to figure out. But a lot, you know. <laughs> It's funny, a lot of Adam Silver's problems right now, I don't know what the answers, you know, to them are. Like, he wants to figure out uh, enforceable rules for free agency. Like, dude, I, I don't know what that is. I don't I don't know what any of these things are that, that he needs to address. I don't know how he's going to be able to correct them because they're so kind of intangible. They're hard to kind of really, really put your finger on. Yeah, and we'll touch on some of those in a later discussion. But the Kings kind of saw a situation. Zach Randolph might not be a player anymore, but it is strange that he led the team in scoring last year and didn't see a minute on the court this year. It's just kind of, it's sad seeing a guy like Zach Randolph not get his farewell tour or whatever. I'm assuming he's probably not. And I, I mean, I assume, we always assume this. No one, and, you know, we had people kind of from it more, more in like a kind of a, just a head nodding fashion that they sat down with him and said, here's what we're going to do. We still want you to be a part of the team. We still want you to be here. We still want you to, you know, be, we still want you to do all of this, but this is going to be our approach this year. And from what we were told, he was okay with it. So I think it's one thing if the player says, okay, you can pay me 12 million and I'll be your cheerleader. Like that's fine. I think it's another thing for a player to say, no, like I want to play basketball. Like I want to be out there. I want to play. So I, I, you know, even though all three of those scenarios appear to be the same, J.R. Smith, Carmelo Anthony, and Zach Randolph, I think behind the scenes, they were all different. Um, Again, which makes the situation with Adam Silver, uh, you know, it it makes dealing with it a significantly tougher issue for Adam Silver because they're all different. Even though they look the same, they're very different. Okay, moving on from that, there's minor Kings news, not really. It is Kings news, so we might talk about it, even if it's like, who's this guy? But they signed Tyler Lydon um, mm-hmm. yesterday, who has played 94 games, I believe it said, or 94 minutes, was it, for the Nuggets after being a pick in 2017? Minutes. It, okay. It, it's He's, you know, 22 years old, 22, 23, whatever it is. Like, he, whatever. Like he's, <laughs> he, I mean, and that's not like to be disparaging. It's like he, he'll come in, he'll have a chance to earn a, a spot on the roster, and that's kind of that. Like I, I don't, I don't have a lot to, to offer there. And the Kings, I've, I've seen people say this is their last roster spot, which is technically true, but it should be stated that they can carry up to twenty guys up until I believe the end of preseason. So even with this guaranteed deal, they can waive him and the preseason or send him down to Stockton yeah Yeah, it doesn't mean that we're done I'm still holding out hope I usually save this for the end of the episode and the two I've done of I'm holding out hope that they bring back Corey Brewer he's the perfect cherry on top for the current bench they have he's a guy who doesn't seem to demand tons of minutes um he seemed to have a rapport with the young guys I'm hoping they give him another chance yeah, I, I was a I was a fan of his uh, last year. Um, I was I was at the arena his first game. I was actually at the tunnel when he came. You know, he came out. He came out to like shoot around, and the crowd. You know how the Kings fans are. Like they saw all of the new guys come out. They saw Corey and they cheered for him. And he looked at me and he goes, "Hey, Corey!" And he stuck his hand out, shook it, turned to. Um, <laughs> Turn to uh, uh, who was who? I can't. Maybe it was. I don't remember if it was Elston or or uh, Jason March or who it was. But just turned to him and said, "Okay, let's go." And he started his 
he started his warm-up routine, man, and it was just, I don't know why it was so funny to me, but he just... He just ran out onto the floor, introduced himself to me, and started shooting. He was like, hey, <laughs> That's awesome. all right, my guy, I get, I get at it. Like, I'd love for him to be back here. He's a those guys. It's a he's he's a good guy to to have around. I'm so I'm actually surprised that uh, someone didn't didn't make a play for him already, given that he was you know a, a server a more, probably a more than serviceable veteran uh, to have around the team last year. Given Man. how many young teams are out there, he seems like the perfect guy. Yeah, and I feel like he's one of those guys, he's in the last couple, probably had a couple of roles where he was playing a little too much, but yeah. I th- I had no complaints. I mean, this is a guy who slam dunked it and landed on his spine. Oh. We all thought he was dead, and he just hopped yeah. up like, oh, okay, yep. move. That was like, that had been the worst moment for the King season. Like, that that video was just awful, and I swear if NBC didn't play that video 4,000 times, man, that was just terrible. <laughs> And then, and, 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 yeah, he was, t- he was like, hey, don't mind me. I'm good. I was like, oh, God, that looked awful. <laughs> I think it was De'Aaron Fox after the game said, well, he knows how to fall, which is yeah. the perfect description of Corey Brewer. I think much. another I think a tweet I saw, or a tweet I saw was, he has two speeds, run and fall. <laughs> That's great. I, I probably That's butchered legit. that. Yeah. That's, I That's think, legit. I think we had this discussion a couple episodes ac- ago, actually, but. I really enjoyed Elon Shumpert and brought to the team. In some ways, Corey Brewer brought that and was a better fit with this team, especially the current roster. I just think I'm I'm a big believer in the veteran leader. I loved when we had Vince Carter and Zach Randolph in the locker room and think that had an impact that goes beyond whether or not they might have not been the right te- players for the team on the court. I know some mm-hmm. people think that's overrated, but I've always been a big fan of that. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. Like even the the Timberwolves experiment hasn't gone as well as I think people thought it would, especially after Jimmy Butler left. Mm-hmm. But just thinking about Kevin Garnett going back there now, Kevin Garnett's a character, is a nice way to say it. <laughs> but yeah, having I think having him there with Carl Anthony specifically was huge because there's a lot of criticism you could have about Kevin Garnett on the court, but that guy is a competitor and uh, be able to work even with 22 years into the league, Kevin Garnett. That's valuable. Yeah, and your criticisms of Kevin Garnett aren't about the way that he plays. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, if you're going to criticize something about him, it's probably the way that he conducts himself in terms of, you know, like the game within the game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, having him around, you know, I was watching a clip. I was more than an athlete on ESPN+. And he was – Kevin Garnett was talking to one of Rich Paul's players. I can't remember – I don't remember if it was DeJounte Murray. I can't remember who it was, but he was just giving him advice. He was like, this is, you know, he was talking about the gym. Like, this is your baby now. This is your girlfriend. This is your world. This is your life. Like, you spend your time here in the gym. You don't worry about all that other stuff. You spend your time here working in the gym. And I was like, ah, that's 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 cool. To be able to hear that from, you know, Kevin Garnett, like, that's that had to be a big deal for, for you know, a player a year or two into his career. He's one of the players... I worry people who didn't watch him are not going to realize how good he was. Yeah. Yeah, he, I could see that. He was in the per- early part of the 2000s. He might have been the best player in the NBA. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like, he was, he, you know, he he was one of the best players at his position that we've ever seen. Tim Duncan went to the Spurs, got all the rings and stuff. But I think the comparisons between the two, if you take rings out of it, I don't think there's that much separating those two. At their yeah, peak, I mean, I'd could, probably take Kevin Garnett. But. Yeah, me too. Yeah, at their at their highest moments, man, you you certainly could. And and Kevin Garnett didn't have 
even remotely close to the stability that Tim Duncan had in in in, in San Antonio and still was able to play uh, the way that he did. Uh, yeah, he's 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 as good as it gets. Like Kevin Garnett is probably the reason Chris Webber is not in the Hall of Fame yet. Because there's probably a belief that we've got to put Kevin Garnett in first because he, you know, kind of redefined that position. We'll get Chris in some other time. But, uh, yeah, he he was that good. Biggest mistake Chris Webber, second biggest mistake Chris Webber ever made was not being born 20 years later. <laughs> Perhaps. And I'm, I'm all about, I'm all about the, you know, the impact. I'm all about, like, Chris, Chris had a, you know, a cultural impact on basketball and that shouldn't be you know Shaq and Allen Iverson went in the same year if I'm not mistaken and Shaq was one of the most dominant players ever but Iverson had like an impact on basketball in the streets basketball at the you know 24-hour fitness and then you know NBA basketball Shaq didn't have that because you can't be seven foot 300 pounds but we can all be little guys who try to move, you know, try to move. And then it's like, oh, I can't afford that tailor-made suit, but I can go get that jersey and these baggy jeans. Like he had, you know, a massive cultural impact. And I think Chris is the same way. And, you know, you can argue that that shouldn't have an impact on Hall of Fame. But I, I, would, I would firmly disagree with that. It's a shame that we didn't get the best version of those two players those couple of years they played together. No, yeah, we sure didn't. We sure didn't. Just like Chris Webber's downturn, I feel like people make it seem like all of a sudden he was magic Patrick Ewing. He was still a 20-10 and 10 guy just about every year. I believe that year the Sixers either bought him out or traded him to the Pistons. I believe they bought him out. but Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah, he tried to come back with the Warriors, and that was a disaster. But Yeah, he was still fine. He was just being measured up against uh, pre-knee injury Chris yeah. Webber. And, it, you know, the, the obviously the pace of play for Philadelphia was different than it was here in Sacramento. So it all looked different. And that started that was kind of the end of Allen Iverson and, and it was Larry Brown. Like that was kind of like all the like it's like everything started to deteriorate at the same time in Philadelphia. All right. Well, now that we've discussed that, let's talk about just like your story with the Kings. You've been a part of the I wouldn't say Kings media. Sacramento media is that a better for no I'm just ever. someone who covers I, no I was just someone who covered the Sacramento Kings that that's all that's that's all I was like I've never worked for the Sacramento Kings or anything like that I just you know I covered them whether it was at you know KSFM when they were hot and you know the the, the, the biggest team you know the, the hottest team on the planet or it was you know the these last few years at, at KHTK I was just just an observer of the process what did you have any Kings? Fe- did you grow up a Kings fan? Did you have any feelings covering them, or was it just you start yeah, covering I, them? No, I was always a Kings fan. Yeah, no, I was definitely a Kings fan. Um, I just I chose when I started a sports show to not be. I, <laughs> I like I I didn't want to cover the show as a fan. Like I, I think there's enough people who do that, and it was like, well, that's not going to be me. Um, yeah, my job is a lot more fun when they're good, uh, as opposed to when they're bad. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it, it's just the way that I do things, but yeah, I was, I've been a Kings fan my, my entire life. Uh, I was obviously I was fans of 
you know, Michael Jordan and, and, and different players. But in terms of teams that I rooted for, yeah, I was I was rooting for the Sacramento Kings. And what in all your time that you covered them, what was the highlight and the low light as far as being there, being able to be in the situation you were in? Um, well, gosh, I mean, the low light, like I was on, I was at KSFM. I was, uh, I was still working my way up the food chain and I was on air for the infamous game seven. And I'm, I know somewhere in, you know, uh, you know, some old packed up box, there's an air check of, you know, those last few moments where I'm giving updates on the game. I know I had one break left after the game ended before I signed off for the night. And I know what I sounded like when I had to say that the Kings lost driving home that night thinking, gosh, the freaking town is dessert. Like it's so quiet. Like we had just, it's like the whole, like all of the air was let out of the city. Um, the highlight, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I, I really have a, a highlight in terms of covering things. Uh, it was, you know, it was fun. I, I hope to be a part of uh, the media group that covers them again uh, next season. Uh, it's been fun watching the team grow. It's been fun to establish some relationships, with coaching staff, and you know, players that have come and gone. Um, I don't, I don't know that I have a, a, a particular highlight though. Who do you think I'm just putting you on the spot here? Of all the players you've gotten to know, come in contact with, who is the funnest to interact with? Uh, I don't interact with a, a ton of them. Um, I, th- I like Willie Cauley-Stein. I know this is not popular. I think Willie Cauley-Stein and I share similar personalities in that we're both. Like, I think he's really introverted. And I totally respect that because I'm the same way, believe it or not. Like, I'm, I'm very shy and I'm very introverted. So I always... You know, I always liked uh, that and Willie Cauley Stein, but the, you know, the two guys that I just appreciated the most were were Vince Carter, uh, who did so much for the community. You know, knowing he was only going to be here a year didn't stop him from you know extending himself out to Sacramento. And then you know, one guy that I maintain contact with is Garrett Temple. Uh, he is, you know, those those two guys are just as as quality human beings as they come. You know, outside of basketball. Uh, those guys are just as good as they come. And I think uh, Garrett landed in a really good situation where he's going to get a lot of run this year uh, and he's going to get a chance to be on a, a really successful team. So I'm, I'm happy for him uh, being in Brooklyn. Uh, and yeah, I just, I, I, I enjoy those two guys a lot. Now, Garrett Temple is just one of the underrated good guys of the NBA. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to talk about was on Twitter, especially, Oh, people have been talking about the small market versus big market because obviously it's been a huge couple of years for big market NBA teams as far as free agency goes. But despite that, you still get people think it doesn't matter, which I used to kind of believe. I don't anymore. After, I think these last two years broke me because when you see premier franchise in the NBA, as much as I hate to say it, the Lakers are the premier franchise in the NBA – have what might be the worst front office in the NBA and land two top five players despite that, when the Kings can draft wrong and set themselves back five years, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Do you think market matters in the NBA? Oh, man, that's tough because it's, it's getting harder and harder to present. I don't know, man. Like, I guess the Lakers are one thing, and I think a lot of it has to do with LeBron being there. 
Um, obviously, LeBron chose, chose the Lakers for a reason. Um, the, the, the best example I could use is the Gold State Warriors. Like, the Bay Area is a big market. No one ever talks about it, but yeah. maybe it's because it's maybe because the name Golden State is, and it's not San Francisco or Oakland. It's Golden State, so maybe people don't like utilize that. They weren't signing free agents. Like when when it, when have the Warriors ever signed a marquee free agent outside of you know the one that was able to sign there because the Warriors had one year left on the greatest bargain deal in the history of sports. No one has ever signed with the Golden State Warriors despite, you know, the market they're in. So with that said, I think there's, you know, and they're still the incompetent franchise that they've yeah. always been. And they showed this year, oh, uh, Zion Williamson is going to the Knicks. We have proclaimed <laughs> the Knicks the winners of the lottery. And then they're going to get Kevin Durant. And then they're going to get Kyrie Irving. And then it, the New York Knicks are going to be back. Yeah, no. Because they're still run by an incompetent owner. It doesn't matter the fact that they're in New York. They're still run by an incompetent owner. And no one of consequence is ever going to sign there. So you've got Brooklyn coming. The Nets and the Clippers have never been looked at as the marquee franchises of those. They're in Los Angeles. They're in New York. But they're looked at as second-tier teams in those two markets. So – it's hard to argue that market doesn't matter, but the way I look at it is, because I remember Jason and I bringing this point up last year, like if you wanted to go to New York, why wouldn't you go to Brooklyn instead? Because Brooklyn appears to be a significantly better run franchise uh, than the New York Knicks were. And I think we said the same thing about the Clippers, where you have Doc Rivers there and Lawrence Frank, and obviously you have Jerry West on the outside influencing some things. So uh, why not sign up with them? And you know, even though those are, are two large markets, they're they're different teams. But I it's hard, man. I guess it does, but I feel like it only does with the top tier. Like and I feel like top tier in the NBA is really, really small. Uh, I think say, it only matters with those guys. Yeah. I'd say the Lakers are on a tier of their own as far as this goes. They really are. They're they have a history and a brand that even when they're being terribly run and have a, in many ways, catastrophic but, season, they can still recover because they're the Which Lakers. I don't understand, cause you, but you're chasing ghosts at this point. Like Anthony Davis said, oh, the Lakers have a tradition of winning, and I'll be quick to remind everybody, 37 and 45, 35 and 47, 26 yeah. and 56, 17 and 6, 21 and 61, 27 and 55. Those are their records for the last six years. Like, what tradition of winning over the last half decade are we talking about? So these people, like, there might be something to just wanting to be in L.A. There might be something to just wanting to be in New York. I think the one thing that we've learned over this stretch of uh, this collective bargaining agreement that they're under, that the supermax in incentives that they use to keep small franchises competitive or small market franchises competitive – and you could probably argue it's backfiring because what it's doing now is it's it's getting players uh, to ask out of their deal instead of you know a year early. They're doing it two years early so they could be eligible for that supermax elsewhere. So it's everything that that Adam Silver and 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 you know the owners have tried to put into play to allow teams like Sacramento or Memphis or. You know, San Antonio is a small market team that we all just are, 
to allow those teams to be competitive uh, isn't working. But on the flip side, it's not a market by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a destination market either. Yeah. Toronto did just win the NBA Finals, and they did it by you know, putting together a team uh, that worked, like they had a competent front office that put something together. The Lakers aren't going to win. Like the Lakers aren't winning the NBA championship this year. I feel like the Clippers, the Clippers are going to have, if any team from LA wins the NBA championship this year, in fact, I'll, I'll do you one better. The Clippers are going to win a title before the Lakers do. And I think the Clippers are going to year after year have a better record than the Los Angeles Lakers will. Um, but that's still, that's still a big market team. But the point in me saying that is that they are a brilliantly run organization and they were put together through drafts, through trade. I'm not talking about the Kawhi and Paul George part. I'm talking about the pieces that are surrounding them that have made me confident that they're going to be, uh, an NBA championship team. Now you have Denver in Utah who have put together really, really good rosters. And you have teams like the Sacramento Kings who might have two legitimate superstars on their team and in time might even have a tier one superstar on their team. So my feeling with these small you have, and this is, this is the same case with the Kings. Like the clock is ticking on the Kings. Now they have, you know, when you draft a player like uh, for the cup, Marvin Bagley or De'Aaron Fox, you have essentially seven years to figure it out. And my feeling is if you can't figure it out within seven years, you don't deserve the player. Like, let that player leave for Miami or New York or Los Angeles or or whatever, you know, big market team uh, that you want to use in this equation. Like, when you're a small market team, you're under the clock. You have – you're on the clock. You have you have seven years. This is It's what Dell Demps had. You had seven years to build a competitor around Anthony Davis. And I'd argue that David Griffin has built a more competitive team around Zion Williamson in three months than Dell Demps did around Anthony Davis in seven years. And that's the plight. Like, that's what the Lakers will never have to deal with. That's what the Clippers will never have to deal with. Because if the Lakers draft a tier one star or, you know, a tier one superstar or even a tier two superstar, they're not looking to get rid of them. Or Or more specifically, that player is not looking to leave. Yeah. Like if they had drafted De'Aaron Fox and De'Aaron Fox had turned out to be everything, you know, that he has over the course of the years, like De'Aaron's not looking to leave L.A. You know what I mean? So it's it's in those situations that I think that that kind of internal clock professional athlete, I think that's where small markets are at a disadvantage uh, because that's it's kind of at that seven year point where it's like you couldn't do this for the last seven years. Why do I think you're going to be able to do it for the next four or five? Like, I don't want to be for it. And in that case, I can't blame him. Like, I can't blame Anthony Davis for not wanting to stick around. Um, and if the Kings don't get it right, I wouldn't blame De'Aaron. Like, yeah. I wouldn't blame any of those guys because at that point, you're talking, if the Kings don't get it right in the next, you know, by the time De'Aaron comes off that second contract, we're talking like 17 years at this point. Like, why, if I'm De'Aaron Fox or Marvin Bagley, I'd have zero interest in ever re- in returning here. I think LeBron's different because he kind of did what he needed to do in Cleveland. So he left. But there are situations where a guy is leaving a better situation in a small market for a team that is either similar or I even think about before Chris Paul knew he was going to the Clippers, which ended up being an improvement overall. But Chris Paul basically telling the, I guess they were the Hornets back then, that he was out of there when he wasn't that far removed from, I want to say it close to 60 wins season maybe it was 57 wins 
and mm-hmm. second place in MVP voting. And those are the situations where I'm wondering why the guy's so quick to leave. Yeah, those are they're a little a little like Kyrie in Cleveland is probably a good example. Um, like you just you you have a team that just went to the finals three times in a row, and now you want to leave. Like that's that's weird. Uh, you know, there's the you know there's the LeBron cloud hanging over the conversation. You know, I'm sure he knew LeBron was leaving, and that that yeah. may have played a factor. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to it's it's hard to grasp. Like every every player is different, every personality is different, um, and that's sometimes what we don't do. I think as fans is, is we don't is we don't know them well enough. I think we know basketball players better than we know any other professional athlete. But you got to take guys' personalities into account. Chris is a hot headed dude. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like it could have been. It just could have been you know, a series of, of bad interactions there in, in, in New Orleans that just, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. Or it could be the fact that they were, uh, you know, you know, going through all the changes that they were going through as an organization and he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, or maybe he felt like he had done his part with New Orleans and he was ready to move on. Like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not sure. It's, uh, it's I, I mean, I, it, I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Even with the Knicks and stuff, as bad as they are, Dolan is, think objectively speaking, the worst owner in sports. The fact that you He's the worst human being. The worst human being. Yeah, he sucks. That is. He sucks. Yeah, that's, that's quite the accomplishment with sports yeah, owners. Yeah, he's terrible. My favorite story is his uh, band, that terrible band he fronts, opening for the Eagles, <laughs> I heard. And oh. uh, at Madison Square Garden, so he was in charge and they ended up playing longer than the Eagles. Of course. <laughs> yeah, he's just oh, incompetent. Cool. And um, I know you joke a lot on the podcast about basketball mecca. And there should be that. There's no reason the Knicks should be as perennially terrible as they are. With like a 10% good owner, they'd probably be able to at least be semi-desirable market. Well, yeah, but it's also, you know, you kind of, you, you said this earlier where, you know, if you dread it sets you back for, you know, however many years there were years where there were like multiple years where the Knicks didn't even have draft picks. So they didn't even get the opportunity to draft bad. And then they put guys like Phil Jackson in charge. Like those are the types of names. So, you know, those, that's what those markets attract, right? Like they attract guys who are, you know, outside their prime. It's like, that's what desperate organizations do. Like to use another wrestling example, whenever WWE is at its most desperate, they turn to the past. Tune in next week. See Stone Cold Steve Austin and Hulk Hogan on Monday Night Raw. So you can remember, you can see what you used to like. (laughs) That's what bad, that's exactly what bad franchises do. Like, okay, you know what? Let's go get Phil Jackson. That will fix everything. He's been so relevant. Let's get him. He'll save us. Like, that's that's what bad teams, bad organizations, that's what they do. They they turn to the past in an effort to save them. And like it it it, it didn't work for them. And I I'm not like no team should be as bad as the Kings, the Knicks, the Suns. I mean even the Lakers the last 6 years or uh the Timberwolves like they had you know they were a playoff drought but they're still you know, what is that one year in the last 13 or whatever? That's a long, long time to be bad. And Kings fans point to, oh, well, we most as owners. Oh, we went through an ownership change. Oh, we had Pete D'Alessandro. It's like blame, 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 blame. A team being bad for over a decade is mind boggling. 
and the Suns and the Knicks and the Lakers, like they're all approaching it. They're all approaching a decade of being bad. Now, Lakers are going to snap out of it. I'm not quite confident Phoenix is, and I'm not confident that Minnesota is not going to begin another run where they miss the playoffs for multiple years. So it's, you know, having an organization run that bad, no matter what market you're in, is mind-boggling to me. But that's, that's what teams do. They throw so much of their future away to try to leverage what, you know, some player that they think has you know, a little bit of mileage left on them and can get them over the hump, upsetting their organization further back. And that's that's what happened to the Knicks. Yeah. And even with all that, the Knicks still got, I mean, they traded for Carmelo, but which was a bad move because they could, have, they could have saved assets and mm-hmm. just waited three months. So it still was but a testament Carmelo, to how. And, you know, that's that's like, that's one of, that's one of the, that's going to be one of the biggest knocks on Carmelo's career is that that was selfish. He should have just waited it out. He shouldn't have requested a trade, but he got traded to New York. He would get more money, you know, yeah. because if you're if you're on, you know, you can get more money from the team that you're on versus the team that you sign with. And he and that's why they push for it. And it killed them. Like they had, I think the Nuggets and the Knicks both had really good like first years yeah. after the deal. And then they, they just both kind of disintegrated going to one of the most hilarious examples of what you were just talking about too one of the i think it was the best knicks teams was that hilarious one where like half the roster was over the age of 35 like if it were 2002 Mm -hmm. it might have been an all-star team it was jason kidd and rasheed (laughs) wallace uh marcus Corpse was on that team i think there is a, a way that being the big market the big brand and the nostalgia of being a nick a laker does hurt these teams and I think Phil Jackson was the perfect meeting of those two things in that I coached all these teams to rings. Of course I can build a roster. All that turned out to be was his ego. The Knicks suffered for it. Yep, still are. Yeah, you were talking about Oakland as a market. That situation, it's so hard to compare that to anything else because so much went right. At every turn of the Warriors building, it will never be replicated. No, no, we'll never see anything like that again. That, that, That was the greatest... That was the luckiest thing that has happened and that I can ever remember in terms of the business aspect of professional sports. Nothing has ever lined up that way where you sign the best player in the league and get value contract before he explodes. And the next year, he's the greatest player. Like he solidifies himself as one of the greatest players in history over the course of the next three years, all while making $11, $12 million. It's, It's freaking incredible. Steph Curry's early injury, best thing that happened. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Like it, I mean, I can't even imagine. Like in twenty years, how do you explain to someone how Kevin to run the Golden State Warriors? Like, how do you explain that team to someone who wasn't around for understanding the financial aspect of it? Like, who knows what you know a, a player you know in twenty years could be making you know eighty million dollars a year. And you're going to explain to them, yeah, Steph Curry was the best player in basketball and he was making $10 million a year. He, he was on the you know <laughs> equivalent of a – he was like the equivalent of – like in terms of reality and money that we can relate to, he was like – he had a good job, like making yeah. $100,000 a year. But then the next year, he was the leader of a Fortune 500 CEO company. He was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and the equivalent salary to that you know, multiple millions of dollars. 
it's it, it'll be in, it, it'll just be impossible to explain in 20 years how it happened how kevin durant wound up there one of my favorite comparisons as far as both the luck and how teams were run was the fact that pre-Kevin Durant, the Kings could have had all four of the top four pieces of that Warriors roster. That's that's a really depressing way to... Well, is there any non-depressing way to talk about the Kings? Well, no, I mean, certainly the, going through past drafts is such a bad, bad, bad game to play. Like, it is just not fun. Uh, but yeah, it's particularly brutal when you look at uh, what the Warriors built and what the Kings could have, <laughs> and just the reasoning behind it. Uh, they, you draft a Jimmer Fredette based on the brand. I've never seen anything like that rookie year. No knock on Jimmer. I think Jimmer is a great guy. I feel terrible that he's not good enough for the NBA because he seems to work so hard for it. But I've never seen anything like that first year where the Kings drafted a guy who was huge. He was one of the biggest names in the draft. And market him the way they did, while also, like, having him <laughs> rot on the bench. Like, they'd have Jimmer for debt nights, and he wouldn't play. An incompetent organization, yeah. man. That was- that's an organization buying into... That's a that's an organization that watches SportsCenter too much. <laughs> All right, I, have one, I have one more point to make that's non-Kings about the market thing. Just And then right. I want to close it with... A Kings-related question. We talk about the superstar forcing a bigger market for the opportunity that it allegedly gives him. But I think about Dwight Howard in this regard. I've been thinking about his career a lot because I think he's probably out of the NBA. Maybe he'll get a couple deals when a team's desperate, but I don't think anyone wants him right now. And if he wasn't Dwight Howard and had the same skill set, he'd probably have a job. But I've been thinking about his legacy as far as... He was amazing on the Magic. And I've been thinking, if he stayed with the Magic a little longer, didn't develop this toxic reputation he has, doesn't go to the Lakers, really burn that bridge. I'm wondering mm-hmm. what his reputation is today. Because he's a Hall of Fame player. You said this on your podcast the other day. Yeah. He is undoubtedly a yeah, Hall of Fame player who nobody likes. Yeah, it's not even a conversation. It's just one of the strangest Hall of Fame careers. Like, who's he going to thank? You know what I mean? Like, besides his mom and his dad, which is so weird because, like, I, I remember his mom and dad very, very well uh, from the 2008 Olympics. And his dad is a no-nonsense, like, you do not cross Mr. Howard. And that's, how, that's exactly how you referred to him, was Mr. Howard. So it was so mind-boggling to see the Dwight Howard situation play out the way that it did, knowing his dad probably wants to beat his ass over it. That, that's just not the way like, like that he would uh, that you would envision of a man like that to conduct himself. Um, if he had stayed, I, I think I think the most damaging thing that ever happened to him was was Kobe. Yeah. Like Kobe just flat doesn't work. Like if he doesn't want to be with the Lakers, don't let him, you know, forget it. Let him go. We don't we, we don't need him here. Um, I think that was one of the most damaging things that happened to him. And then he followed it up with a run in Houston. That was an absolute disaster. So to try to answer your question, what would the perception be if, if the whole Dwight Mayer had never happened and he had just recently with Orlando? I think the perception of him would be different. We can't ignore the fact that he did have back surgery. Yeah. Like he spent a lot of time coming uh, coming back from a back injury, but he would have remained in the Eastern Conference. Orlando probably would have been competitive. Yeah, I mean, I, I think perception would be different. I don't know what his perception would be inside locker rooms because I don't recall ever really hearing anything bad about Dwight until... I want to say yeah. you have a similar arc with Dwight in that he's never saying happy birthday to me, which you can extrapolate <laughs> on. 
I've I don't remember any player who I've gone up and down on as much as Dwight Howard, as far as my perception goes, because I loved him. He was one. I'm still a LeBron James fan, even though he plays for that evil team. He still might be my favorite player I've ever watched play basketball. And Dwight Howard, it took like two years for that to just evaporate. I only yeah. I dislike him now. I'm indifferent on him. Yeah, no, you're, 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 I was the same way. Like my, I, I kind of root for players now more than I root for teams. My favorite player, you know, for the last few years has been Russell Westbrook. Well, back then my favorite player was Dwight Howard and I love the way that he played. I've always been, you know, I, I like I've, I've been f- enamored with like bodybuilding and fitness and dudes who are built a certain way. And you know, Dwight, he was built like a, freaking house like his build was incredible his shoulders like he was long he had like a tiny weight you know he he was dwight howard is the reason that jerseys went from backy to tight (laughs) it's because guys wanted to start showing off you know their physique and he was he was was, dwight was like watching a professional wrestler he was like watching a dude that was larger than life and then it just it i can't think of an athlete where it all went to hell quicker like for an athlete that didn't get himself in trouble like they didn't get arrested they didn't get charged with something it just like all spiraled into and this dude is a d-bag like he, like he's, he threw his coach under the bus. He opted in. He demanded a trade. Then he, you know, Tommy decided to stay. Then he stayed. And then he demanded a trade again. And then Kobe didn't want him. And then the the Lakers didn't, or the Rockets didn't want him. It's like, what, what is happening with this guy? He's probably a tragic tale in the NBA. As far as career goes, there's real life tragedies in the NBA. But he's probably tragic tales on the court. He's an in odd the NBA. tragedy. Yeah, the, just. One so without weird. injuries, I should say, because, you know, you can talk about Brandon Roy's. But... Well, he again, he had the back injury, yeah. and I think that just has to be noted because I don't know. I feel like he had the back, and then he had one more good year after it. But after that, it was just – and maybe it wasn't even a result of the back injury. Like, I can't think of a basketball player that's come back from a back injury. I mean, I know Larry Burke because of one. That was a long time ago. Steve Nash – at that same exact time of the Dwight Howard experiment, he ultimately retired because of a back injury. Yeah. So, you know, the fact that he came out there being as that he is trying to work through it, but still, it's just, it's, it's, you know, you can, you can play the decline game. He had a dominant eight years in the NBA, and yeah. that's why he's, that's why he is a, a, a no question Hall of Famer because he was absolutely dominant. So you can play the trajectory game of, you know, going to that, but Dwight Howard's story will always be more about his personality and his seemingly lack of relationships. I almost see him as like the antithesis of LeBron. Two guys who came out of high school, they rose up because of their, they were 18 year old phenoms and LeBron, say what you want about the decision and all that, whatever. I always thought that was overblown. But um, LeBron has basically handled himself off the court about as well as you can ask someone who has reached his stature. Um, oh, yeah. Never had off the court. Yeah, you could talk about his petty Instagram posts, whatever. If that's the worst thing you do, Michael Jordan punched teammates in the face. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, multiple teammates. Michael Jordan would not be as beloved in the social media era. Mm-hmm. Very true. Dwight Howard, it's he's never really had any terrible off the court issues that I can remember. He the way he handled himself without doing that and turning a league that's very forgiving, too forgiving often, of guys with issues, turning that league 
against you, that just yeah. takes talent for back of a, lack of a better word. Yeah, Kobe buried him. I, yeah. I don't think he ever dug himself out of that hole when Kobe buried him and said, this dude doesn't work hard. If he, he does, if he doesn't want to be here, don't. And I think that was the end of it. And if we're talking I, about Kobe, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's ever dug out of that. Yeah. If we're talking about Kobe, I have to criticize him a little bit. I'd Kobe gets a little pass for that whole situation because they had a 36 year old guy and it was time to tell him, Hey, you're old. He did that. And then he, <laughs> which whatever, I'm never going to, I'm never going to trash the guy for taking money. Take the money. If you're Chandler Parsons and a team stupid enough to throw $25 million a year at you, of course you're going to take that. One of the weirdest criticisms people have is criticizing players for taking the money. But Kobe clung the franchise player for too long. And I know he's Kobe, but he does have he does have a part in the Lakers' decline by demanding that. Um, Sure. Uh, I don't know that he demanded it as much as Jeannie Buss gave it to him. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at who the general manager is of the Los Angeles Lakers right now. Do you think those two were embattled in a bitter dispute how to pay Kobe Bryant? Such a uh, I think, Yeah, like I feel like Jeannie Buss went to Rob Palenka and said, we know Kobe's winding it down. Uh, services rent, you know, here's $26 million or however, you know, many millions of dollars it was. Uh, we're, we'll, you know, whatever he wants to do over the last few years of his career, uh, we'll do. And with a torn Achilles, uh, yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, I mean, that money they paid him uh, was well worth that final season that he had, uh, because that you think about Kobe's last game, and at the same exact time on a different channel the Warriors were winning their 73rd game. And nobody cared. the same year. Right, no one cared. It was the same year. It was the same night. Like, it happened. If you flipped, if you flipped the quarter, if you flipped your TV at the appropriate commercial break, you flipped over at the exact moment that the buzzer sounded, the Warriors won 73, and you could flip right back and watch Kobe score, you know, 60 or whatever it was that night. Uh, so it, yeah, no, he, he's, he's culpable. I, I don't know that he is culpable. Whoever gave him that contract is culpable for where they are, you know, here today. And the fact that they're just now digging themselves out of it, but I don't think there was much conversation there. I don't think yeah. that was an agent and an owner negotiating anything. I think it was Jeannie Buss or whoever was running the team at the time going to Rob Palenkin's here. We want to do for Kobe. This is what we're going to do. And let's move along. Yeah. That was my personal. But you know, hit. you can you can criticize him for that. Like that's yeah. that's certainly fine. I think one last. I'll move on after this. My one other criticism I had in that was he was notoriously terrible when they were trying to lure other stars there. Um, I know he did it. They did actually try to bring Dwight back. I think revisionist history. Um. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they they uh they had a uh they he was he was a part of the meeting. Like I remember that very well. Like they met him that that year to try to get him to sign. Didn't he? Was it Dwight Howard or was it when they tried to get Lamarcus Aldridge? Where Kobe said something like, "You can be my." It might have been a star, but a definitive I number don't, two or three. It wasn't Lamarcus Aldridge. Lamarcus Aldridge was the one who the Lakers pitched like Hollywood to <laughs> Adam. And Adam Lamarcus Morgan. was like, "Man, who are you talking to? Like, I don't want that." And it was the first, to the to the best of my knowledge, it's first and only time you've ever heard. Uh, because if when you read. Uh, you know, granted, it, that didn't happen this year, but 
you know, way back in older free agency time, uh, Chris Weber met with the Sacramento Kings. Both sides say the meeting went well. <laughs> so and so, you know, t- Tim Duncan met with the Orlando Magic. Both sides says meetings went well. This was the first time you had ever read the Marcus Aldridge met with the Los Angeles Lakers, and it was a disaster. This is the first time you had ever read that before. It was like, wait a minute, what? And to to read about why it was. I don't know that Kobe had an influence on the Marcus Aldridge thing, and it was probably Dwight that he used the you know the little buddy line to. Um, but I don't think I I don't think uh, Kobe wanted Dwight back, so maybe he sabotaged it. Like I, I just I don't think he wanted him back there because hey. he knows what it's like to work with guys that don't work hard mm-hmm. and. That's, that was his beef with Shaquille O'Neal, and I think that was his beef yeah. with Dwight Howard. Like, you come here, you work hard. You don't. I'm going to make your life a living hell. Like, you have the work to do, and nobody works as hard as he does. Nobody. Kobe did Kobe did hate it when guys who don't work as hard carried him to a ring. But moving on to the Kings. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't leave that situation without okay. one last jab. But uh-huh. moving on to the Kings, and then we will call it quits. So you talked earlier about... Maybe De'Aaron Fox reaches the ceiling we all think he can. Maybe Marvin Bagley does. Maybe Buddy Heald's, assuming he doesn't add four more years by next season. Kings become a legitimately great team. They're still Sacramento. But suddenly, if they fall into money, this is hypothetical. I don't know if this is possible. Do they suddenly become a target for the next Kevin Durant, who's suddenly moving on to a 73-win team? Are they ever viable for that? My opinion is yes. Uh, that was a, a conversation. It's hard to have conversations on a podcast when you're by yourself. Yeah. Like you try to make a point and then try to make a counterpoint. But my feeling is yes, uh, if they are. But what they have to show more than anything is they're a competently run organization. So if you just laid, you know, if, if everything that you just laid out comes true and, and, and De'Aaron goes where we think he's going to go and Marvin goes where so many thinks he's going to go and I mean, even if like if Buddy is what he was last year, moving forward, the Kings are in great shape. Uh, the other thing that those types of scenarios do is their players more valuable in trades because people will be like, oh, well, you see what, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich. You know, one of the darker conversations we've ever had is who in this version of the Sacramento Kings do you think could wind up the Jay Will? You know, who, who could wind up the Jason Williams, the yeah. guy who the city loves but has to be traded in order to get that guy's bogey. Yeah. Uh, he'll have tremendous value around the league and he could bring in that one piece that you feel like, Oh, the Kings are missing this and bogey can attract that. And suddenly that person, and then you got a team that's rolling and perhaps you've got, you know, Harry Giles about to, uh, 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 you know, hit his, his next big contract and Yanko was free and he wants to come play for the Sacramento Kings. I can absolutely envision that because I think there is something to having a confidently run organization. The Warriors were always in the Bay Area. They weren't, a, they weren't the, any, no one was paying them any attention until they became a confidently run organization. Yep. So I, I, th- I think that's what, the, I, I think that that is a possibility for not just Sacramento, but for Denver and for Utah. And for like that, who are building through this way of not being able to attract superstars through free agency and not being able to form these, you know, these dynamic duos or, or these big threes of the past, like they're doing it this way. And that's going to attract other players attention as 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 the years go by. Being a lifelong Kings fan, it's it seems ridiculous for me to say. But, yeah, I, 
I, in a perfect world, I agree with you. I always, even with the Spurs, they got LaMarcus Aldridge, but they haven't been like a hotbed for free agent signing, so I still struggle to believe that the small market is still going to get the but, honest whoever. But, yeah, but you've got to find the unassuming guy. You've got to find that guy. You know, <laughs> the perfect guy, at least for as much as we know about him, is that like Kawhi. Yeah. You know, Kawhi's going to Los Angeles, but let's not forget that Los Angeles is his home. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's let's not just going to Hollywood. Um, Same with Paul George, need, for that matter. Right. You, you, you want that guy who is like Russell Westbrook. His personality screams L.A. His personality screams New York. <laughs> but Giannis's personality doesn't scream that right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe there's, there's another player who... Uh, whose personality doesn't scream that big market and they're the you know the Lamarcus Aldridge type where it's don't don't pitch me on holly me on what you can do in terms of you know pizza endorsements in in Los Angeles or in New York pitch me about what you can do you know with your basketball team and when you have an organization that's run perfectly you'll be able to get those meetings like how many times that you you, you talked about the Spurs have the Spurs ever gone after, like, Kobe or KD? Or, like, have yeah. they ever tried to schedule a meeting with LeBron, any of those guys? Like, I don't think they have. I think they have a way that they build their team, and they don't deviate from it. And if the Kings can establish that, or any small market franchise, Denver, Utah, whoever, as long as they establish that, like, I, I, I think they're fine. Like, that's what Griff is doing in New Orleans. Like, he's bringing Messi to a team that has none like the pelicans have it with anthony davis or no anthony davis that team is second tier to the new orleans saints and yeah. they have to with legitimacy and they have to do it now with zion williamson because what they do this year is going to affect them five years from now and six years from now when zion is entering that second year of his contract especially or, i'm sorry that second uh that second contract yeah. of his career especially if the mumblings yeah, but why would it be? Like who who would desire to go to the Pelicans? Like nobody would. Because but 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 I think that can change with grip. Like, you know, I hate to I'm sorry to use it. Like Chris didn't want to come here. Yeah. Chris didn't want to come to Sacramento. But he got here and the organization, you could talk about the city winning him over, but more importantly, the organ won him over. And I think New Orleans can do that with Zion now with, with David Griffin at the helm. Which is why everything Griff does for the next five years is just incredibly important. Because if it work, uh, we're in another situation where the marquee player of that team is going to want to be traded. Yep, goes to L.A., New York. <laughs> Maybe I think that's it. Maybe I wonder if this will be my last thought, and then we can call it a day. But I, I do wonder. You take this Kings team, put them in purple and gold they have this season that they had the last year and move them to LA. Is that a free agent magnet? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There's, absolutely. I, it was one of those things where I knew it wasn't going to happen, but in the back of my mind all year, I'm like, oh, they should just try to get, they should try to get a meeting with Kevin. They should try to get a meeting with Clay Thompson. You know, as a fan, it's like, when you think about the but, lottery, when you buy a lottery ticket, you know you're not going to win, but you're going to spend every moment until those numbers are announced. Sure. In the back but of your there mind. Is, 
you know, there is one thing that you can't forget, and it is sort of important in that scenario. The Kings did fire their coach. So, I guess, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, we, you know, we look at it being here, we kind of looked at it like, yeah, okay. Most of us knew it was coming. I, I mean, <laughs> I, was I don't want to say we knew, but we were pretty comfortable. Like, something is not, like, something's not adding up here. I don't think Dave is going to be back. You want to know? So, we... I think we look at it one way, whereas people on the outside might look at it like you just had your winning a season. Okay, Luke Walton better be as respected as, as as we've been led to believe because I feel like you know players, organizations with looking now. What are they doing there in Sacramento? Want to want to know what I, my lottery fantasy was when they fired Dave Yeager? I I I think I jokingly tweeted this, but in the back of my mind, I was ten percent serious. Was remember when Dave Yeager was yelling at Buddy Heald, who was right next to him, when he yelled at him for shooting and making that three against the Warriors? Mm-hmm. Do you remember who was right next to him and talking to Dave Yeager, saying, "What are you doing?" It's Kevin Durant. Well, was it really? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I convinced myself in my lottery fantasy, hey, the Kings are appeasing Kevin Durant oh, that's <laughs> because great. he was mad at Dave Yeager. Now I knew that's this wasn't going to happen, now, but it's a lottery yeah, I, fantasy. Okay. The game was against, so now I remember, okay, it was it was against the Warriors. I remember him not taking the Yeah, okay. That's pretty funny. And I remember a lot of people had something to say about that moment, too. Yeah, a lot of people did. I, I don't think he was a top-tier coach or anything, but I don't think our current situation is any better, and especially with other stuff. Yeah, we <laughs> it could be a bigger mess than it, we realize. I think it was a pretty pointless move, to be honest. But if the players didn't get along with him, I also understand that. Yeah, yeah, he was a, he's a, he was a I think he was a different person. He was yeah yeah. I'm 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 sure there was a reason that they did it. And I'm sure there was a reason we we knew for a while that it was going to happen. So and the, uh, hopefully Luke's good for them. Well, and one thing I did notice was there wasn't exactly an outpouring from players of, "Hey, coach, thanks for being here. Good right. luck on your next yeah. chapter." I don't think I did either. Yeah, certainly not publicly. Yeah, which is funny because in this situation, guys do that. And you saw yeah. reactions to the eventual hiring. Mm-hmm. Anyways, do you have any fantastic words to share to the people going out? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having me, man. I, I appreciate it. Thanks, always, thanks always for coming talking. on. You're my first non-Sackdown royalty guest, so you're my first celebrity guest. This well, okay. I'm, I'm your first non-Sacktown royalty guest, far from celebrity, but I'm I'm, I'm happy to happy to be on um, Toddcast with Damian Barling that they could find on uh, all social media or all uh, podcast platforms. And uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you hit a star review and and subscribe to the show and Daily Sports Talk Monday through Friday, and it's it's good stuff. One final thing I'll say that I appreciate about the podcast before we go is that it's not just dry sports talk. It's your amazing at and you do interviews but you host a show by yourself and you're able to just talk and keep it interesting for an hour or so a day and that's amazing and you're willing to go places in sports that others might not go and i love that being you know being a talk show host is is it's kind of a unique thing that you had to learn like people are listening but plus this is a podcast like yeah. no one's stumbling across this on accident so that you know the, the people who were you know kind enough to to seek me out and uh follow me after after the lowdown came to an end like they they obviously know what i'm about just that doesn't mean that everybody who listens agrees with me but i do believe when you host a show like you should be you 
like let people in, like let people know what you're about. And I had an episode, you know, the, the most downloaded episode I've had was the one where I had like a breakdown in the middle of it. Like I just, something is something. Oh, I, Chauncey Billups set me off. And then I just, I started talking about how horrible Chauncey Billups was at the draft. And I remember starting that podcast in a really bad mood and let every frustration I have out, like, I just let it all out there on the podcast. And I think people appreciate that because who doesn't deal with that stuff or who doesn't sit down and watch a show on Netflix that they really like and they want to tell somebody about it. Like, I just believe you, you, when you, when you host something, like people are listening for you, like let them in, let them learn all aspects of you. And, and that's, uh, you know, that's part of the, 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 the charm. And that's, that's one of the downsides. Like when your show gets canceled, you wonder like, man, nobody, like it's a reflection that you get a reflection on your personality. Uh, thankfully, that 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 wasn't the reason why our show was taken off the air. But still, like you, you, it's it's hard to not take it personally when stuff like that because you put so much of yourself out there. I appreciate with you too. You all this, you say that you keep in mind that we're sports fans. We are irrational human beings, and you actually acknowledge that. You don't try to pretend that sports are this huge thing. They're irrational by nature. We're mm-hmm. probably idiots for sitting here and talking for an hour about strangers throwing a ball in a net. But yeah, that's the fun I mean, of sports this, to me. That's yeah, you love part of being a fan. Yeah, we're fanatics. You love Russell mm-hmm. Westbrook because of this. I'd say the closest player I have to something like that would be like Boogie. We try to rationalize it in our heads. It's irrational by nature. And sports fans are very strange about what they limits they have for rationality and irrationality and i appreciate that about your show and that you'll be like hey this is all dumb but yeah but it's 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 what's fun right it's 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 what we love to you know see guys who can do things like we can only imagine doing uh we love to see guys who have you know that fire and that attitude um we love to see guys carry themselves humbly like there's you know, they're, they're just we, we live vicariously through these, you know, these athletes who are wearing our favorite team's uniform or for those of us who don't have allegiance to teams. We just, you know, root for players. And I mean, you know, to do this for a living, like, dude, give me it doesn't really get much better than this. Yeah, well, that's hey, listen to the podcast. If you liked his work on the radio, it's very much the same Damien. He hasn't changed. I try to listen to it every day. I'm not going to lie and say I have every single day. Sorry, Damien. But I do almost every single day. Listen to it. It's a great sports rundown. You learn about the stories you might. um, You get boundless office references, which is the backbone of current pop culture. (laughs) Yeah, I needed to carry that over somehow. We used to work the office into every single show, and I knew I wouldn't be able to do that by myself. Uh, So I just started titling the episodes just lines from from the office like i'll watch an episode of the office and just write down a lot it's a totally meaningless line and i'll title that as a as a show my favorite use so a little bit of schadenfreude in this but was russell westbrook going to the one team you didn't want him to go to in the rockets (laughs) and your episode title was dead inside yeah there were there were actually quite a few candidates for that episode but i just chose to go with that that line that he uttered when uh Holly was at the Christmas party with her with her boyfriend at the time, and the camera just goes to Michael, and he goes, "I'm dead inside." I was like, "Yep, that's how I feel after Russell Westbrook signs with the Rockets." This is a Kings podcast. Everyone who's listening is dead inside. 
<laughs> and on that note, thank you for listening to the Sacktown Royalty Show. Thanks, Damien. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, I'm still working on some things like a text line, all that. I'll try to get information about that. I'd love to do some question and answer type episodes. But uh, join me next week for another episode of the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'll talk to you then. <laughs>